Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater fan here. So if you're a fan of music of any kind, you're probably well acquainted with the idea of covers. When an artist sings a song they didn't originally write or perform, sometimes exactly in the style of the original artist, sometimes in a totally different way. And in the musical theater world, it's common for performers who do concerts or have a cabaret act to cover pop songs in their acts. But few performers have made it as much a part of their careers or managed to reinvent songs so completely as Kyle Ryabko, my guest on the podcast today. Kyle was, until fairly recently, not part of the musical theater world at all. He grew up in Canada and came here uh, originally with a record deal as a singer-songwriter. Uh, it wasn't his goal to be on Broadway one day, um, and it wasn't until later in life that he came uh, to the theater world, taking over the lead roles uh, on Broadway in Spring Awakening and then in Hair. But the show that has been probably the most defining of his career thus far is a really unusual combination of theater and pop. Uh, it was called What's It All About? Baccarat Reimagined, and it debuted off-Broadway at New York Theater Workshop in 2013. It was in no way what you might think of as a traditional musical. Uh, the show was totally musical. It was entirely songs by the great pop composer, Burt Bacharach and his longtime lyricist Hal David. But those songs were played by Kyle, who arranged the music and an onstage rock band. It's still one of the most truly original moving shows I've seen in recent years. And it went on to the West End in London under a slightly different name, close to you, Bacharach reimagined again. On September 29th and 30th, Kyle is going to be performing his acoustic set of those songs at Joe's Pub here in New York. And he came by to talk about his sort of evolving relationship to Bacharach's music, uh, the show, along with another big project that he has coming out soon, another album reimagining classic songs, but this time those by musical theater giant Richard Rogers. Because I'm not meant to live alone turn this house into a home when i climb the stairs and turn the key well please be there 
still in love with me. So you are someone who started as a singer-songwriter before yes. you came to the musical theater world. Yes. So, and you've worked with a lot of pop people over the years who we're familiar with. So I was curious to hear first just about that part of your life and how it got going and then how you managed to get to Broadway from there and how that became an interest for you. Yeah. Well, when I was 14, I started working with a guy in Canada named Chris Burt Gaffney, and we wrote songs together. And the idea was to sort of put a package together of tunes that we could go down to America with and get a record deal. And it was like as simple as that. And in the early 2000s, that actually, that, that track existed. That was a thing that could happen. That was a thing that could happen. <laughs> and so I spent a year or so on those songs, and we made a few calls and a few journeys down here. And eventually we landed with a place called Aware Records, which was based out of Chicago and run by a guy named Greg Latterman. And, and he was he signed John Mayer and sort of mm -hmm. brought him over to Columbia through Aware. And so they were in the John Mayer business, and that's sort of what I was doing. I was a guitar-playing sort of uh, kid, and, uh, and I signed a record deal with them. And that became sort of like about four years of my life, making records, touring uh, all over the world, you know, hustling at, at radio stations and that whole thing. So I, I feel um, that I was one of the last people to experience that sort of traditional pop music uh, trajectory. And it was really fun and it was a great learning experience. Um, but ultimately, as you know, the music industry changed so much. And in that time period, around 2007, someone called me, an, an agent called and said, have you heard of this thing called Spring Awakening? Um, it's really cool and it kind of sounds like you. <laughs> and I had never even, I'd never been to Broadway. I didn't even know what Broadway was. I thought of, I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada. Important fact. Important I've never fact. met someone from Saskatchewan before. This well, here, exciting. now you have. It's really <laughs> exciting to meet us. And um, I just knew Broadway Avenue in Saskatoon. I was that naive. <laughs> I thought it was like where you go to get like, you know, your cheese and coffee. <laughs> And then I, so I came down here and I, I had a friend come to the show with me to just check it out. And my idea of what Broadway sounded like was really sort of set in stone in my mind. I was thinking about sort of, you know, the traditional sound. And when I heard these young people singing the way they were singing and the music arranged the way it was arranged, I realized, oh, there is a world down here where they're playing the type of music that I like, but on stage in front of a captive audience, not in a club where you're trying to win people over. And so, you know, long story short, I ended up in Spring Awakening, and um, that was the beginning of my sort of theater world. But those are kind of the broad strokes of how it, how it happened. I was going to say that, I mean, you did, you, you sort of got from the John Mayer business into the Jonathan Groff business. <laughs> a, li a little bit, <laughs> a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I mean, the way that I look at it, I still feel like a musician first, and mm -hmm. I feel like I'm privileged to sort of dip into musical theater and, and, and dip out. Um, uh, that's just the way that I feel. I never felt fully like a musical theater person, but uh, it's em embraced me, and so, um, so it's been a really great sort of, uh, transition in my career. I, ne I never would have thought when I was a kid who, who really just wanted to be sort of a rock star that I'd be <laughs> talking to you about Broadway musicals. That would not have crossed my mind. But now, now it, it is, and it's, it's fun. And you've been in two of the great sort of rock-leaning Broadway musicals. I was going to say those 
are maybe not the greatest example of what all of Broadway will be no. like, but yeah. <laughs> very lucky to do those two in particular. That's the thing. It was one of those things. It just was the right place, right time, right part, right time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So did doing those shows change how you approached your own work as an artist or how you performed? Without a doubt. Yeah. I started thinking of songs differently. I started thinking of them as little mini movies that have something to say as opposed to four minute jam sessions. You know, that's what (laughs) I grew up with. And and we were like, we're going to play a different set every night. And our favorite band is Fish. And we're going to do 10 minute (laughs) guitar solos. And that is that's what was feeding us were those sort of like jams. And I still love to do that. But what Broadway taught me uh, is that you can actually really construct something that you're in control of um, and and that there's an art and a craft behind that. And I, I that started to seep into my sort of thinking about music in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, did you start to see parallels between pop songwriting and musical theater songwriting? Um, I started to see, when I started working with Burt Bacharach, that's when I saw the parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, because his songs don't go chorus, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, like most pop songs do. His songs are like, they arc all over the place and they sort of ebb and flow depending on what he wanted the song to sound like and what he wanted the song to say. And that's what musical theater writers write like. Um, they don't follow like that format that'll feel good on the radio. So, so there are a lot of parallels there. And it's, it's also, a lot of people are disappointed with the fact that Bert and Hal David only wrote one musical, Promises, Promises. Mm-hmm. And they feel like they could have, you know, it would be exciting to hear another show from them because their writing lends itself so well to that. I agree. Well, you kind of created that show I in suppose. a way, yeah. which we should talk about. Um, how did Baccarat come to you in the first place? I was invited to I think he had seen me in Spring Awakening and I was invited to I love this, that he went to Spring Awakening. Yeah, he did. Yeah, in Los Angeles. So after I did it here on Broadway, we we I was on the first national tour and I guess he was there one night. I I did not know, but uh after that I was invited to um the recording studio to sing for him uh to be his singer on uh, some demos of new music he was writing. He was like 83 at the time and he was still writing new music. That's crazy. And so he needed a singer, so they, they called me. And I just was like a hired gun, and I figured um, I would just be in and out in an hour, and that would be it. And I'm here, you know, six years later, still in the Bacharach world, you know. So how did so how did doing a session yeah. grow into doing a musical completely of his music? He So at that session, um, we really sort of clicked musically. It was a, a it was the greatest session I've ever been a part of, and it was highly unusual and unexpected in that there was no track and there was no click track or or anything like that. It was literally a piano and Bert sitting down playing it, and I was you know sitting as far away as you are from me with a microphone, and we were sort of breathing together, and and he still likes that organic sort of way of working, mm-hmm. which which I do too, and we had. We formed a sort of a musical connection in that uh, session, and I invited my manager and friend David to uh, one of those sessions. It ended up being a couple days, and he was sitting with Bert in the control room, and he said, "God, it's so great hearing Kyle sing your music. Wouldn't it be cool for him to sing 
all of the old stuff too and we could come up with a way to reinterpret it and so that was and Bert sort of in his um, very quiet way sort of said like yeah that'd be cool and that started it that was enough of a spark (laughs) so um, that was the beginning of it and then I took I, I took that idea and ran with it I just went you know home my little home studio and I just started plunking away at these songs and finding new ways to fit them together and and it, it formed it was the beginning of this piece that you are talking about so and these are the songs that we'll be hearing at your joe's pub show you should say yeah this joe's pub show so now so it ended up being a, a, a stage show that we did um in new york here at new york theater workshop and then we took it to the west end in london but now i'm doing a solo acoustic version of it that i sort of tour around and and play um play venues and I will be doing that uh, at Joe's Pub September 29th and 30th. So I think what people will hopefully be struck by, which is what to me was so powerful about the show and I saw it is that in some way, the way you do these songs gives them this depth that I, and I think a lot of people didn't consider um, with Bacharach before. I think that he maybe unfairly gets a reputation as writing these kind of mushy love songs and, coming away from that show I was like these are really sad songs I mean was that something that always jumped out at you about his music or did it take you time to discover that it took a little time it was uh, what I realized is uh, first of all most of the lyrics are written by Hal David Mm -hmm. who is a genius in his own right the great thing about our show is it had songs that were written with other lyricists too but a lot of the lyrics to Bacharach songs are insanely sad and deep and poetic as you say and the beauty of what Bacharach did was that his production value was peppy and happy and it had the the horn section and the strings. And so it was almost like this weird juxtaposition between happy music and sad words. And I just thought, what would it be like if we if we sort of mellowed out the arrangement and made it m- sound more like what, what we're used to hearing now, guitar, bass, drums, keys, you know, and simplify that. And what... I didn't know this was what would happen, but what ended up happening is that the anguish in those lyrics came out um, because of that new arrangement. So it was sort of still playing the same song, same melody, same everything, but just um, adjusting the arrangement a little bit, and it and it gave it a different color, I guess. You know? mm-hmm. Well, and it feels like it ultimately becomes the show kind of about loneliness <laughs> in, in a, a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm. Well, you know, Bert's favorite song that he's... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Key row is Alfie. Mm -hmm. And as you get to know him as a person, 
and you listen to the song and you sing that song hundreds of times, you, <laughs> you start to recognize why, you know, it's uh, he's a guy that even at his age still asks questions about life and looks back and thinks, oh, wow, you know, what's it all about? Did you expect that this was going to become such a big part of your own career as it has? Because this I mean, you're almost having the experience now of someone who does a Broadway show for years and yeah. has to find new ways to do it every night, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, when we first started out, I didn't expect it at all. I thought it was, sort again, each step of the way was sort of, um, I figured I'd do a few shows and then that would be it, but it just organically built. It's like every once in a while in your career, something happens where it, like something just feels right and you know you have to keep going down that avenue. And that's what happened with, with the Burt Show. People seem to like the, the sound. And um, so, yeah, it went from that one hour recording session to like a six year lifestyle of Bacharach, you know. And are you and Bert still in touch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And uh, and, and also I still enjoy I still enjoy playing these songs. I really I actually <laughs> do, you know. Um, so it's been a totally unexpected um life experience you know and it continues to this day i was curious about the songs themselves have you are there songs that you didn't relate to as much in the beginning of the show that now when you do your acoustic set are really right. meaningful to you or um that's a good question i think you know always something there to remind me for some reason that feels like the most i, I get a, i have a very guttural reaction to that when i play it acoustically live and that's a song that, again, like you, you grow. I grew up listening to the '80s version. Who, what was the band that covered it again? Naked Eyes. The Naked Eyes version, which is always mm -hmm. and you and I never would have thought that one day I'd be playing it in sort of a slower, again with more anguish. And that that song is one that I f have found more depth over the years uh, with. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, like you know, there's just so many. It's every night you connect with. What I really like doing is seeing the eyes of the audience as I go through the the set list because there's this like glow in their eyes when they as they realize oh he wrote that song and that song and that song that's definitely one of them I remember being in a yeah. theater people being like oh he wrote that who knew yeah <laughs> so there's a real um that's a real factor and it's similar with Richard Rogers you know I I have a you know friends who are have nothing to do with the theater community who are just you know musicians and they would never think of you know, oh, what a beautiful morning, and uh, you know, where or when, and my favorite things. They know the tunes, but they don't know they're all written by this one guy. Mm -hmm. And when they see the list, you know, this has been happening to me over the last few days. They're just like, oh wow, you wrote that and that and that. So there's like this. It's like educational is the wrong word, but it's fun to to um, show people the genius of these these creators, you know, and really prove to them why they are geniuses. You know? Well, it strikes me as similar to when you have a really great pop song that can be covered over the yeah. years in eight million different ways when the bones of the song are just really great. It lends itself to reinterpretation. That's what I've been saying. I've been saying the word indestructible. Like if, if a song is built um, extremely well and the foundation is there then it's it, you can take a blowtorch to it and you can you can do anything to the song you can play it with a saw and it still works <laughs> that's when you have you know you have a great song you mm -hmm. know and and Bacharach has that and Richard Rogers has that and there are very few other people you can say that about you know 
Was it the reimagining Backrack experience that led you to the idea of reimagining Rogers? It, it was, and, and literally so, because there was a day that I was at Bert's house, and in the hallway leading to his music room, there was a framed letter on the wall, and it looked very important. It looked like something he put there for you to see that he was proud of. <laughs> and so I took a closer look, and it was a fan letter from Richard Rogers to Bert. And, you know, the essence of the letter is just, I really love what you're doing. This is in the 70s. I think you're amazing. I consider you the new hope, you know, for music going forward. So right. Richard Rogers felt really deeply about, about Bert's musicality. And then I found out that Bert felt the same way even before that letter. <laughs> um, and he, there, there are articles um, in the press where, where you can see Bert sort of praising Richard Rogers and loving him. And so that was just sort of too good to, to pass up. I, I figured that would be a, the perfect and obvious next composer to sort of dig into. Well, I mean, especially for someone like you who didn't come from a traditional musical theater background, it's interesting yeah. for you to go to Rogers. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, because... Because it's through Bert, I don't think of it as my first thought isn't musical theater when I think of Richard Rogers, even mm -hmm. though that is most people's. So um, they're just songs to me, you know, and that's how part of the, the thing is like with this new album, Richard Rogers Reimagined, I don't profess to be a Richard Rogers expert at all. Um, I just really like these songs and thought it would be cool to sort of see again what they sound like in a new way. Well, and I think that if I were to draw any line between him and Bert, he's another person who, you know, you look at his shows and they sound, you immediately think, oh, these are like great, you know, almost warhorse Broadway shows at this point. But I mean, listening to his lyrics now, I'm, he was quite revolutionary in the way that he wrote, especially for his time. Yeah. And I mean, so he wrote with uh, Lorenz Hart was his first lyricist and then uh, Oscar Hammerstein later and th on this album there are songs that 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 both of them wrote mm -hmm. often you get just get a Rodgers and Hart album or Rodgers and Hammerstein and, and this album has both um, and you there's a stark difference between the songs he wrote with Lorenz Hart and the songs he wrote with Oscar Hammerstein which was fascinating to sort of look at and dive into plus I read a biography about him that was just sort of mind-blowing and and I felt okay, this is a genius, you know, there are not many people you can say that about, but you can about Richard Rogers and you can about, about Burt Bacharach. What I would love to hear more about that. What do you see as the big difference between the Hart and Hammerstein collaborations? I, I, it seems to me like, um, and again, this is not, Just your there opinion. are people who know <laughs> this way deeper than I do, in a deeper way than I do. But my, my feeling is that the songs he wrote with Lorenz Hart have an element of tongue-in-cheek. They're a little bit tongue-in-cheek. They are a little riskier, and they feel like a younger man wrote them. Mm -hmm. And someone who's finding his voice, which is really exciting to hear. And then the Oscar Hammerstein songs are incredibly earnest, which I, which I love. I love earnestness, and I think that's missing from music today. Mm -hmm. um, but these are songs... Uh, that that someone who has a family wrote, you know, and and um, they're not afraid to go back to the to the root note of the song again, just to like land. <laughs> Whereas the Lorenz Hart songs are a little bit more Bacharachian in that you don't know where they're gonna go. So that's that's like a really, you know, that's one take on it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a definite difference, without a doubt. You know, and and I know as a writer, when you when you're around different people, different parts of you come out. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I, I hear a lot of different influences mm-hmm. um, in your takes on these songs, and one I know that you worked with Jason Mraz a bit yeah. earlier oh, yeah. in your career, and I I hear a lot of him oh, and your cool. voice and your approach. So I was curious to hear, um, you know, if he's an influence on you at all on this yeah. album. Well, he was a, he. I toured with him for a long time. Um, back in those Aware Columbia Records days. And um, he became a really good friend. And, you know, I was around him a lot and watching his shows a lot. So I think it just uh, one of those things that naturally seeps into your musicianship, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I really like Jason Mraz a lot. Yeah. And he just, I think he just worked with Sarah Bareilles on her Waitress uh, oh, yeah, was he, album. Did he work? Oh, yeah, he, he was on the album or something. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. He I mean, must have look, a little love of theater, too. He does. And I think I knew that he did. And his songs also are sort of like, they're not afraid to to be storytelling songs. Completely, yeah. Yeah, they don't necessarily all... He's a little theatrical, actually. Mm-hmm. He, he always has been, you know? Yeah. Did you see a connecting thread in the style that you sort of apply to these songs? Or was it really different for it your song? It was a song-by-song basis. So I, I would look at the song and try to find an element about it that I could magnify that you wouldn't necessarily have done before. So, for example, my favorite things, you know, you think of Julie Andrews singing it and it's raindrops and roses and da-da-da and all that stuff. But the line that I really focused on is, then I won't feel so bad. That I found interesting. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, version of it, when you listen to it, you'll see it's, it's really focused on that line and bringing the, I'm overusing this word today, but bringing the anguish out <laughs> of the song from that. It seems like a very happy song, but there's that's an interesting line, and then I won't feel so bad. So you were feeling bad. So the song sort of, sang, so it was things like that. And then, you know, like um, I Have Dreamed, that, you know, Stevie Wonder came to mind, and so uh, I thought what would it sound like if Stevie Wonder played this song and that's what how it turned out well, I'm feeling very brilliant right now because I was gonna say I have dreamed I think is my favorite on the album and I completely got Stevie vibes oh good that's totally that's good news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's I was gonna say that's a song that I think of as like my first thought is just that it's very unabashedly romantic in context in the King and I but uh that you there is this really gritty kind of soul feel that right. you bring to it Thanks. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a song like Some Enchanted Evening, which, uh, you know, is incredibly romantic and usually sort of in a larger than life operatic way, almost, you know, romance, romance, romance. Mm -hmm. And I thought uh, of doing it still romantic, but what, what if it was more of a playful romance as opposed to this big, broad, you know, musical theater romance? So it's. So, yeah, it's just sort of that. I just like to sort of, I listen to the song and then think of almost like opposites. Like what's the opposite of what you would normally think this song should sound like? Mm -hmm. Has doing this album made you think about other shows you might want to do that perhaps you wouldn't have thought of before? I mean, there we have some ideas and we're working on something. It's too early to talk about, you know, but... um, I don't know. I'm just going to probably hang out with this music for a while and, mm-hmm. and do concerts with it and see where it leads, you know? I wondered if there were, like, pie-in-the-sky roles, dream roles that you would love to do. People or, ask me or... I'm, like, the worst person to ask that question to <laughs> because, I, like I said, I didn't grow up in musical theater, so, you know, I end up just saying, like, Curly, 
You know, how about curly? <laughs> You know. Why not? Yeah. Well, your oh, What a Beautiful Morning is really nice, so oh, it could happen. Yeah, you never know. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, yeah, Great thanks, to chat. Thanks for having me, yeah. In those dreams, I love you so That by now I think I know what it's like To be loved by you Kyle Ryabko's album, Richard Rogers Reimagined, will be out on Ghostlight Records October 27th, though you can hear the first single now, Oh What a Beautiful Morning from Oklahoma, on Spotify. The original London cast album of Close to You, Bacharach Reimagined, is also on Ghostlight, uh, by the way, which I would highly recommend listening to. Kyle is going to be playing uh, those songs uh, from the show at Joe's Pub in New York, September 29th and 30th. He'll come back to Joe's Pub November 2nd through 4th in support of Richard Rogers Reimagined. And he'll also play music from that album at the Wallace in Los Angeles, November 10th and 11th. If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, please subscribe to me on iTunes. Give us lots of nice stars and reviews. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.